Hi everyone and welcome to this inaugural episode of the Interaction Lab podcast brought to you by City Interaction Lab and the Centre for Human Computer Interaction Design at City University of London. I'm Stuart Scott, Interaction Lab Manager and host of the podcast and I'm joined today by Dr. Ernesto Priego um, who's a co-host but also strangely in the position of being a guest. Um, Ernesto, say hey. Hey. Thanks for suggesting we do a podcast uh, for the Interaction Lab. I think it's a great idea. And it's great that you managed to get some um, colleagues that you've worked with on a recent project to join us. Sure, no problem. It's a, it's a pleasure to have this first ever Interaction Lab podcast. We'll have uh, Simon Grennan from the University of Chester and Peter Wilkins uh, from Douglas College in Vancouver, Canada. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, I mean, just to give some people some background, uh, well, some context for this podcast, uh, this episode of future episodes, we're planning to speak to experts in HCI and related fields uh, from academia and industry. And uh, we would just want to generate food for thought for friends of the lab, friends of the center, and just people interested in, in design in general. So today we're speaking with Simon Grennan and Peter Wilkins, who will be telling us about their work in graphic medicine, specifically co-design around comics uh, related to dementia care. Um, and uh, as we're talking comics today, uh, every hero needs an origin story. Uh, perhaps, uh, Simon, could you start off by introducing yourself, giving us a bit of background, uh, where you work and what your interests are? Sure, uh, I'd be delighted, Stuart. Um, uh, I'm not a hero, but I do have an origin. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, so I, uh, I'm Dr. Simon Grennan, and I am the leading research fellow at the University of Chester in the Faculty of Humanities and Arts. Uh, but actually, um, I am uh, a practitioner, so I draw comics and I run a collaborative a visual arts studio with another artist. Uh, I'm based in North Wales and he works in Houston, Texas, and we've been working together uh, for 29 and a half years, which is quite a long time. Uh, I do a little bit of academic work, so does he. Um, so I do a bit of theory and a bit of practice, uh, and it's all focused on uh, seeing how drawing and particularly storytelling drawing uh, can reveal things and uh, move things along and provide uh, experiences. That sounds amazing. I mean, a lot of uh, knowledge that you're drawing from there. Yeah. Great. Uh, and what about you, Peter? Uh, what's your origin? Uh, well, my origin is a long time ago. I did a, a PhD in literature uh, and I taught at Douglas College in Vancouver in the English department for several years. And as I was uh, teaching literature classes, uh, I became interested in including comics teaching in those classes. And it started with uh, Satrapi's Persepolis. And then I just kept adding okay. books to the uh, to the syllabus. Um, and then around uh, 2011, I guess, I decided I would write a paper on comics. And I submitted it to a conference in Spain. And it was accepted. And that's, that's where I met Simon. So that's our joint origin story. Uh, and currently I work uh, in uh, part of the college uh, that's called the training group where I design and run programs for at-risk and immigrant and refugee youth. And I try to get money from the government to run those programs. And I too, in my own little way, draw comics because once I started getting interested in them theoretically, I thought I would give it a go. Cool. So, I mean, so uh, you've both got practical experience with the comics and you both have origins in academia as well. 
Um, yes. And, and it sounds like you're both looking at it from both the literary perspective as well as to sort of you know, getting your hands dirty and, and making things happen. Yeah, we. Also, uh, well, sorry, ahead. Peter, go ahead. I was going to say, like, to, to talk about comics from a literary perspective always gets people's hackles up a little bit because we try to talk about comics as something distinct to itself as its own medium. Okay, Simon. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're, we overlap in some ways uh, in terms of making and reading uh, comics and thinking about comics with uh, with various devices and traditions in literature. But uh, the the massive uh, the massive elephant in the room, which uh, which always always appears, and actually it isn't an elephant in the room. It gets talked about quite a lot. Um, <laughs> is the fact that is the fact that visual things are not like words, and so there are various uh, the various things that uh, that. Uh, uh, visual media afford that words don't and so uh, uh, literature and the study of literature only comes up a bit short and in fact I, I, I seem to remember that this is a kind of conversation that Peter and I had in Spain uh, and on and off uh, the three of us have been having it ever since uh, for the last uh, seven or eight years um, about exactly what what it means to uh, to tell stories visually rather than by uh, rather than verbally um, so uh, so definitely um, I think we were quite well dressed in uh, Spain, Peter. Actually. I I know that you were. <laughs> I feel I feel like I've stumbled halfway through this conversation. I, 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 I'm obviously, the three of us. Just to point out that um, Dr. Ernesto Priego is here as well from City. Uh, maybe Ernesto, if you want to just want to introduce yourself quickly. Um, thanks, thanks, Stuart, and thank you, Simon and Peter, for joining us in this. Uh, it's this is our first episode, right, Stuart, of the Interaction Lab podcast. Yeah, so, so first episode, and uh, it's good that you brought your friends along to help us out. Yeah, well, you know, I thought that it would be cool to also, you know, have an opportunity to 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 discuss, uh, you know, issues related to our current work at uh, HCID and our collaborations with with people. And as Simon and Peter have said, uh, uh, you know, it's all part of a, of a long conversation, I guess. You know, we've been having a scholarly uh you know friendly and inspiring conversation for for a number of years and it's nice to see that it's uh you know materializing itself uh in the form of publications and conference presentations etc i uh, i have a background in english literature and i did a phd in information science and i'm at as you know at city uh, as a lecturer uh based at the center for Human computer interaction design, and uh, so my my uh, you know dream has come true basically in terms of being able to collaborate with with colleagues I I admire like Peter and Simon into introducing user centered design methods or activities like co design to make comics right in this case about dementia care. But hopefully about other topics as well. But currently we've been working on uh, on comics about dementia care. Well, uh, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll touch on your current work in a second. Uh, just going back to sort of your origin, how you guys met. Um, well, actually, before that, just to say that Simon, I understand where you're coming from with the whole visual thing. So, like, um, I sort of created a comic myself. I don't know if Ernesto told you. It was yes. A, a comic book anthology. I'll, I'll show you a link. You might not like it. I don't know. Um, I'm sure but, I will. But it's, yeah, the, I'm sure I love it. But the idea yeah. is, it's about words and pictures, isn't it? And it's the collaboration of those two things that makes a comic what it is. 
Um, yeah. I think without one or the other, it's just words or it's pictures. But the two, yeah. So I, I kind of get where you're coming from, just to sort of say that when I said uh, literary, I kind of that was the wrong phrase to use. Um, great. Uh, so you mentioned you alluded to meeting in Spain. Do you just want to sort of share a like you mentioned that you're well dressed. Is there an anecdote behind that? Do you want to share it, or is that something <laughs> for you guys? <laughs> well, you I want uh, to start with that. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting one, Peter. I mean, I, I mentioned it. I think you were you were. Um, yeah. So I, when I go to when I go to comics conferences and I, I started out like this and I just carried on, really, uh, although it's a it's a kind of fiction is that um, uh, is that I'm always in a suit and tie. And it was a, a kind of plan that I had uh, based on a, a kind of prejudicial notion of how comic scholars uh, normally dress. <laughs> OK. Uh, uh, and so uh, so early on in my uh, early on in my career I kind of did a bit of that with the comic scholars um, and folks uh, respond in various ways uh, or, <clears throat> or not uh, and I think uh, I think actually Peter you were kind of uh, you were kind of dressed well you were you were dressed up too and so we had a bit of like oh you're dressed up oh you're dressed up and actually it was quite hot in Spain so I think we were quite overdressed in a way I remember that uh, Simon had these uh, fantastic uh, antique suits and he would show up in a different one <laughs> every day. My feeling about meeting Simon in Spain was that Simon seemed to know an awful lot about what he was talking about. So he ah. not only looked look good, he lived up to the appearance. So my career in comics is uh, just trying to catch up to Simon. So guys, are well, we talking about the Alcalá de Henares uh, conference? Yes. Uh, yes. This, yeah. So this was... 2000 and what? And 2012, 2011. Okay, yeah. yes, yeah, I was yes. not there, but yes, indeed, I, th I maybe, maybe, um, maybe Simon Stewart, I think, uh, you know, uh, could talk a bit briefly about the idea of drawing in drag. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm just thinking now about this relationship between performance and fiction, and sure. perhaps, you know, the, the. Uh, that's uh, become that's become more explicit uh, in uh, uh, in comic studies as time has gone on. Uh, it has been, yeah. So Ernesto Ernesto introduces the title or part of the title of uh, of my uh, most re recent comic, uh, which is called uh, Drawing in Drag by Mary Duval, in which I uh, I essentially perform uh, as a Victorian uh, female cartoonist of the 1870s who was Mary Duval, and of course I'm not Mary Duval. And so there's quite a, a lot of interest for me in how drawing uh, can uh, offer opportunities for pseudonym um, or visual ventriloquism, really, and what that means where you step into someone else's uh, style of doing things uh, or focus on subject matter and style that belongs essentially to a canon developed by somebody else. Oh. Uh, and that does go along with uh, dressing up uh, to go to conferences in antique suits. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really fascinating idea. I mean, I, I've kind of, I understand the idea of writing to a style, uh, yeah. but I'd never thought it's going as far as sort of, you know, it's kind of like method writing or method drawing, isn't it? You know, like the method actor gets into the mindset by just being like the actor. You're doing the same thing, but to create. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are, it's interesting how uh, um, often in order to do that, it requires, um, it requires training. To enable it to enable one to forget in a different way. So there is no, there is for me. I mean, for the three of us, probably we have a kind of idea that that drawing isn't um, 
there is no natural drawing that natural is always a kind of inverted commas and so it, it always it always uh, devolves to some kind of uh, um, focus on on thinking about about what's excluded and what's included i.e me methods of, of recreating certain types of stylistic effects and actually in parables of care the the graphic medicine uh, work that we worked on together there's a definite uh, aspect of that where very self-consciously styling it in a particular way to produce a particular type of reader effect. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, that, that you know, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm looking at a copy of Parables of Care now and I can kind of get where you're coming from. It's kind of, it, it looks, well, it looks like photographs, it looks quite realistic, but then it's got that scratchy look, so it's kind of, you know, I can see that there's something there, but I can't tell what the thinking. Well, the 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 thing, I mean, uh, uh, apart apart from the, as it were, the the mark. Um, I mean, Peter, maybe you want to talk about the the we could. I mean, we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but about about the way in which we thought about the mise en page, about about young coma and how the four panels work. I mean, yeah. I mean, go, go ahead. I mean, and, and then we'll kind of retro. Well, then we'll kind of backtrack and say what parables of care is. Yeah. What, what, yeah. While, we're on, while we're on it, let's hit while we're hot, sort of thing. Okay. So when we were with the, the, an awful lot of decision making went into this quite short book, uh, we had to think about uh, how we were going to present these stories that came out of the Care and Share app, and um, we had to evaluate these stories and try to figure out what they were like and whether they had commonality with each other. Um, and the, the literary genre that uh, we thought really suited these uh, stories was parables because they were brief, uh, they were enigmatic, they had a kind of surface meaning, uh, but if you probed more deeply, all kinds of interesting things were going on. And then we looked for a comics analog to parable and we decided that Yonkoma manga, or gag manga as it's called, uh, was the perfect um, sort of comics design for these stories. Four panels, uh, but kind of recursive. When you reach the end, you sort of have to go back and reread the other three panels. And it creates this kind of uh, intense reading and looking process that grows the more times you look at, at the comic. So it's like a combination of a, a comics genre, uh, gag manga, uh, which is often, you know, quite similar to the American style comic strip in a newspaper, uh, and parables, a kind of literary genre that is, uh, has a long, long history, at least in the West. It's brilliant. I, I mean, uh, Ernesto explained it a bit to me prior to this, just to kind of get my head around it. But now, like, now that you've explained it, I can kind of see where you're coming from. So you've got, it's basically, they've got a punchline at the end of each one, like the, the parable, the, the learning, then you have to reread it in order to understand how they got to that learning sort of thing. Yes. Well, yes. and also that, you know, is the learning the learning? <laughs> um, maybe <laughs> oh, right. you are, maybe you're being, um, misguided in some way by jumping to a conclusion about what's going on when really something else is going on, something deeper uh, and more uh, affective with an A. Okay, uh, I suppose to, to help the listeners that aren't familiar with Parables of Care, uh, perhaps one of you, maybe Ernesto, can kind of give us a bit of an overview about what it was and uh, what its aims were. Sure, yes, well, so um, Parables of Care was the result of you know, discussions about how to engage with an app 
developed by the Neil Maiden and team. Who, uh, Neil Maiden was then at the Center for Human Computer Interaction Design at City. Uh, the app is called uh, Care and Share, as Peter said, and it's a it's a uh, an app, a database of uh, collective case studies or you know really stories about how a number of carers uh, of dementia carers uh, engaged with situations uh, around dementia uh, dementia is a it's a it's a growing health issue uh, as as people live older uh, it's uh, it's a, a condition that uh, say uh, affects the way we, um, we we remember things or uh, our ability to recognize uh, people or our environment uh, it, it, uh, and this 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 basically you know gives us a you know the, the app offered a plethora of, of of stories right so by working in co-design workshop style with Peter and Simon and uh, uh, other researchers at City and uh, uh, that were have been looking at issues of storytelling and health informatics uh, we we sort of realized that we had what we had was a treasure trove of stories right it was really care the care and share app uh, is uh, is a library of, of stories about how people that care for uh, people living with dementia, you know, have faced of this this situation. So we uh, we 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 explore the ways of adapting them into into comics form and of uh, you know making a selection because you know some of the situations are are common, right? Uh, so uh, we did a content analysis in which we were able to identify uh, common uh, situations that emerge. Uh, uh, when dementia is is present, for example, not recognizing a, a relative or someone we know, or or you know uh, forgetting uh, where you are and not being able to get back home, or confusing one thing for another. So we made a little booklet uh, containing uh, these uh, short stories, which are one you know a page each, made of four panels each. And that that matches the the yonkoma form that Peter was talking about. Uh, manga is Jap uh, a name for Japanese comics. Right? Yeah, yeah. Great. I, I mean, so that gets us grounded on on sort of the work that you guys have have been doing. Um, so let's start with perhaps Simon. What are you guys working on at the moment? So we're uh, we're currently working um, uh, rather shambolically because that's what that we enjoy ourselves too much. <laughs> Really, completely focused, um, but we're 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 working uh, uh, we're working on writing a paper that brings together parables of care uh, with uh, with a with a related partner project which Peter has been developing uh, in Canada called uh, called, called I know how this ends, uh, which similarly aims to provide a, a, a in a different in a different way a kind of overview of aspects of caring for dementia from a carer's point of view. So we're so, so we're we're currently um, finishing up. Uh, Peter's certainly finishing up that, and we're working on trying to rationalise what these two things uh, are about and how they've managed to take our thinking forward, and and so that we can share our uh, potential thoughts and insights um, academically. Okay, and let's throw that over to Peter. So um, I know how this ends. Do you mind just giving me a bit of an overview about that and uh, how that project came about? Well, when uh, Ernesto 
uh, was just writing the proposal to do uh, Parables of Care. Uh, he needed people to be partners, and I said, you know, that Douglas College could be put down as a partner. And as we were working through it, I thought, well, we could do something similar, a companion volume. And I know how this ends comes out of a series of interviews with professional caregivers, nurses, psychiatric nurses, uh, care aides, uh, and their experience of having family members with dementia and the crisis that introduces to their professional standing. So a nurse who could be perfectly capable of handling a person experiencing dementia in a clinical situation suddenly finds him or herself uh, at a loose end when it's their mother or father who has the disease. So it's all about that sort of crisis of what it, what it means when it hits close to home. Uh, the title comes from one of our interviewees who was talking about her mother and she was saying to herself, you know, I know how this ends because I'm a, a professional caregiver. And that gave us the idea to think about these stories uh, in terms of Greek tragedy. Uh, so instead of parable in this case, so the I know how this ends is kind of loosely based on uh, uh, kind of a Euripidean tragedy. There's a chorus that there are the other family members. Uh, there's the, a little bit of relief in it, uh, but there's also this strong sense of inevitability. I think if you look at parables, parables is all about like the hopefulness of the situation, the poetic capacity of the caregivers, uh, how they can come up with solutions to problems that people with dementia have. I know how this ends is, is kind of darker uh, because it acknowledges um, not only the death of the person experiencing dementia, but a kind of universal mortality. Wow. And I'm drawing, I'm drawing that one <laughs> to make it, to make it even darker. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I, so it's kind of, a, a, I mean, I don't know how, how Simon and Ernesto are going to write it up. It sounds like it's kind of a counterpoint to parables, you know, parables is just like, you know, here's some, here's some learnings that can be applied and make a bit life a bit easier. Whereas I know how it ends is basically, well, we do this on a daily basis. We see everyone else, you know, strangers going through this and we know how to cope but as soon as it hits in the home it kind of uh cuts deeper because you know you, you know what's going to happen and you know even though you know the best practice you can't be unemotive when you're in that situation really can you um exactly yeah, wow. so it's kind of like this collapsing of registers uh the the real thing that struck me about dementia from doing this project and i'm by no means an expert is the What's really intriguing about it philosophically is the way like the ground of reality just drops out uh, yeah. when the person with dementia loses loses the current reality. And suddenly your world as a, an interlocutor with a person with dementia is threatened by that. Yeah, and I mean, I think what's uh, been, been very interesting uh, for me to see this journey from parables of care to uh, so I know how this ends is that even though it is true that that the comic that we hope to release early next year, early meaning around February, uh, as a printed publication, but also online. Um, uh, you know that even though it is, yeah, darker in a way, it is it is not devoid of of hope. Or uh, as as Stuart said, you know, it is very difficult to to read these stories and. And, and not feel empathy too, 
And, you know, when you asked us about our origin story, I did not mention that in this, in this case, you know, my, my dad had dementia, uh, he passed away now, and, and, and it was, it was indeed a motivation not only to learn more about dementia, but to do something about it. So, uh, um, you know, the, the user-centered focus is, it has different layers uh, here in this project because, for instance, in, in this case, it was, it, it was uh, the, the, the personal experience with, you know, of, of, of dementia in the family that uh, got me interested in the topic and, and uh, how I started, you know, prompting others to try to work on it. Uh, but also, you know, now that we have these interviews uh, that, that we picked up those that Neil had collected and that Peter has been doing his own uh, workshops with his team over in Canada. And, and you know, this chorus, this, this Greek, -like, Greek tragedy-like chorus of voices, that, that polyphony of opinions and, and emotions, um, in the end, you know, it is not about the inevitability of death or, or, or of perhaps even dementia itself in some cases, but of, of hope that, that, that it's always a network that is involved and that, that hopefully, you know, any readers will also realize that if they are going through this situation, they are not alone. And uh, the power of stories is also the power of healing. And I find that design is at the core of this because design, you know, for me really has to do with improving uh, the life, the you know, conditions of life, right? Like medicine, really, design seeks to make things uh, better. Like a better user experience is means a better life, right? <laughs> Uh, well, so, so trying to, and we're trying to bring these things together. And sometimes you have to go through the difficult, dark stuff in order to, to, to make things better for others. Wow, um, it's, it's, well, I mean, thanks for sharing, Ernesto. And um, it, it's good. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to hear that your personal experiences is what inspired the project. Um, and I suppose, because sort of things started with parables and they've moved into, I know how it ends. Perhaps, um, Simon, you could tell me how you got involved in parables and, uh, yeah, just sort of take it from there. Oh, sure. I mean, um, uh, by the time we were, uh, we started to think about parables and really Ernesto um, was leading it. We were constantly uh, talking with, with each other about this, that and the other in terms of our, uh, in terms of our field of expertise and uh, and also, you know, what we were having for breakfast, uh, <laughs> what what movies, uh, what movies you might have seen, uh, you know, what album was on the was I kind of on the playlist. Uh, so we had this kind of developing uh, uh, flow of conversation, um, but an aspect of which was always a notion that we uh, that opportunities arise and that we'd got to know each other's interests and uh, areas of expertise and uh, and capacities and uh, humour. And so, and so all of uh, that, that was the context, uh, the context, the parables, the opportunity to make, uh, to make something uh, Ernesto recognized in this case, in the case of parables. And, and so that's, that, that entered into uh, this stream of conversation uh, and, uh, and uh, became a kind of focus. Uh, and so we managed to, to actually make something and do something um, as well as having our conversations as normal and uh, sharing our breakfast images and thoughts. <laughs> 
and so so that's so so we so that's how the so the parables uh, came out of that kind of thing. Um, and the interesting thing is to talk about. It's interesting thinking about parables, and uh, I know how this ends in terms of uh, a kind of lighter or a darker experience, or a more or less hopeful experience. And one of the things that's that I think um, drove us forward pretty early together was the notion uh, of the the whole ecology of creating something like this. So the ecology of care, for instance, is something which is only really just being looked at um, in terms of dementia about how a lot of focus on experiences of dementia and not so much focus on experiences of of, uh, of caring or how dementia impacts um, social networks and environments uh, more widely and that was it that was entirely where we were thinking so we in a sense that the, the um, everybody in a way uh, has or will have uh, experiences um, of dementia even if they're not suffering from 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 experiences of dementia themselves and so there was this whole this whole notion that our conversations the three between the three of us and the experience of a kind of ecology of care meant that we had we we could access um very straightforward kind of sense of feeling feeling about how things work even though we are not dementia experts and so i mean obviously we started to work with folks who'd done work already and there's a lot of information and expertise uh, but in a sense, it's it's always both of the both of the books are uh, are really about about um, trying to to um, trying to give a particular set of sensations to the reader, which are about the broader ecology of experiences of dementia. I think is that do, have I is that, have I put that badly, gentlemen? <laughs> Not at all. No, no, no. What do you think, Peter? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's exactly right. What's interesting to me about this project. And uh, I have to give credit to Ernesto for this because without him, we never would have been uh, doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you, guys. Uh, is that it's been an incredibly productive project. Yeah. Uh, we've we've produced multiple conference presentations, all of them distinct. Uh, we're working on this paper. We've met all kinds of people who are also working on similar projects. Yeah. Uh, you know, we interact with uh, people who are nurses. Uh, that's that's been uh, fantastic. Yes. So it's not just a, it's not just the outputs, is it? It's uh, hopefully the impact it's having uh, in helping change people's minds or give people different perception of the subject matter must must also be valuable. It's a little book, you know. It's sixteen pages long, but it's done all this work. <laughs> the little book that could. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes, yeah. indeed. I mean, it's been I nice. Mean, what... we... Yeah. Go, on. Go ahead, Simon. Sorry, Ernesto. What, I mean, one of the things that that uh, um, that interests me. It's unexpected. I don't know why it should have been unexpected for me because uh, uh, retrospectively, you think, oh, of course that was bound to happen. But I hadn't thought of it really um, when we were kind of making the book. Um, is about is about contributing to the 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 burgeoning genre and thinking about the genre of graphic medicine. Um, and so graphic medicine is a kind of thing that for me, when we began, was I mean, I knew what it was and it was kind of over there. But now actually. Uh, I think the parables contributes to to people has is contributing to people's thinking about what graphic medicine can be, um, and maybe in a uh, and uh, it, we're continually I think in the or now in this phase of graphic medicine at a kind of expansive phase where the genre the genre has start started in one or two places and is now grown to encompass all sorts of different types of things and I think the parables is part of that. Yeah, that's it, I agree. Yeah. It's basically like a. a, a one of the early early works in that field, do you think, or like a kind of a 
No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, para, uh, um, graphic medicine. Um, it, you know, it's uh, it's really easy to date when it kind of appeared because the, the 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 term was was coined by by Dr. Ian Williams, who was a GP um, and a comic scholar uh, and a, and a practitioner, an artist. Um, and he, uh, I mean, I think it's 2011 he started to use it properly, maybe a little earlier, 2010. Okay. Um, and suddenly there's you know there's a website which is very well used, and then there are works that were identified as pre-canonical works, um, which are often about either, they're often autobiographical, um, and so Parables comes relatively late in that. It's not a not a foundational work in, in any means, but there is this thing going on in graphic medicine where it's, it, it's, its foundation was really about autobiography uh, plus a bit of teaching, our pedagogic kind of stuff, and then therapeutic reading, and that, that's the that core has expanded into all sorts of interesting things, particularly to do with this notion of, of how medicine is, um, is, is, a, is effective or and affecting of the, the broader environment, folks who are kind of in it who aren't suffering from something. And so that's, that, that, I think, is where the parables has had some impact. And just for those people that are uh, listening that might not be aware, would you mind just explaining what graphic medicine is? Graphic medicine. Yeah. Graphical medicine, graphics medicine is? Graphic medicine, so um, got, who wants to do that? <laughs> um, I've got a little paper with, uh, okay, Peter, go for it. <laughs> um, well, I think what's interesting to me about graphic medicine is on the one hand, a lot of works that fall into that category are there by accident. You know, they just yeah. happen to be about the medical system, about a person's medical experience, um, about their engagement with the medical system. It's like doctors and nurses talking about their experiences. So I'm not sure how many works of graphic medicine were actually designed to be graphic medicine. Yeah. Uh, and I think Parables is part of a new movement to design works as in terms of their uh, medical effect. So, uh, so it's like yes. what Simon mentioned about it's, it's, it's designed to have an outcome or to change thinking or to sort of uh, create feeling yes. in, your, in the audience. You know what? Yes. What I also like the you know uh, this is why I love talking you know uh, like doing work like this you know like brainstorming ideas uh, in a conversational uh, style and you know many times that uh, we have chat uh, you know in between photos of breakfast and teacups and, <laughs> be and beer and stuff. Your uh, you know, it's, must be very yeah. busy. It is, it is, yeah. But you know, it's always, it's what it was has allowed the project to be an ongoing process and not just, you know, sort of uh, output uh, orientated only, but about the process, I guess. Uh, but what was I going to say is, is yes, that uh, this idea that Simon uh, just shared with us as well about about the ecology of care, uh, I think uh, has a uh, has an echo in 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 our in interest in inserting comics in the ecology of research probably yeah. uh, that um, that it matches uh, this sort of new wave perhaps of uh, comics about medical topics that we may call graphic medicine that are purposefully designed to communicate information or to achieve a an, uh, uh, an effect, uh, which are not necessarily fiction comics, uh, 
um, or autobiographical comics. You know, are the result as well of a long journey. At least in 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 the case of Simon, in 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 Peter's case, in 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 my case, you know, in your case too. We have like different journeys in terms of our, our relationship to comic books, uh, and but we we find ourselves, uh, you know, in that point of. A connection, you know, it, it is comics, right? It is the medium of comics that we see as very uh, powerful for different reasons, and 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 comics are at the are at the center of of the of the of the activity. So they they are not sort of a replaceable medium. It's not like they are their own thing, right? So but... so inserting them in the ecology of research. And therefore, in the ecology, we could say, you know, or in the fields of uh, medical humanities or interaction design, or even why not if it, they are digital comics of health informatics. Yeah. Uh, so, you so, know, it's so it's one of our goals or intentions or motivations. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and so, so yeah, the, the idea is the comic isn't just an artifact at the end of something. It's the thing in itself, sort of thing. Uh, in a way, yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, so just going back to the parables of care and maybe touching on, on how it ends, uh, do you mind just talking us through the process, um, Peter? Uh, so, so what did you do and how did you guys go about doing it? Well, with parables, we all sort of met uh, online uh, with the HCID team and Simon and me and uh, Ruhina Rana and Marie-Pierre Caron, who are uh, members of my team here. I couldn't have done this project without and we just um, we just shared ideas about you know we, we knew we wanted to make a comic out of these stories, but we didn't really know uh, how we were going to proceed. Uh, but in through our discussions and kind of serendipitously, we just kind of hit on these uh, these these modes or genres that we wanted to employ, um, and. I, I don't think you can overvalue that sort of, oh, like a kind of different eureka moments that we had to create the book. Um, if you notice like the color palette uh, that Simon uses, it's got kind of an institutional look to it. Everything just kind of clicked into place. Um, I know how this ends was a little bit more fraught because we had uh, a young artist who was working with us who got a job and she did great work, but once she got her job at a design studio, she couldn't keep up with the work. So eventually, uh, I just had to take the reins myself and push it out with my own limited artistic capacity. Uh, and so that was a little bit more frantic. But uh, I think the, the cool thing about parables is the way that we hit upon uh, certain things that just clicked, that were completely non-scientific. Uh, for instance, if you look at the cover of Parables, it looks like the cover of a romance comic. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, that's just perfect. And there are all these little things about it that I don't know that any reader or every reader is going to get. But to us, I think they seem really important. <laughs> yeah. Could, could you talk a bit more, uh, Peter, about the, what you learned by drawing I Know How This Ends? Because there was, it, it's been quite a journey too, right, in terms of your own... Uh, thinking about what comics can be or or can do well, or it, can't. It, um, I think it really put me in touch physically with some of Simon's ideas about drawing uh, and what you do when you draw, when you 
go to the, um, from in my case, an iPad uh, every day, and you just work, work, work on the subject, and you do develop uh, a very intense, I wouldn't say it was an understanding, but a kind of feeling for what you're, what you're drawing. Is that too flaky, Simon? Uh, no, no, I don't think that's flaky at all. I think that's true. I mean, what I mean, it's um, it's craft, and therefore, it, and therefore, there is an aspect of it uh, which is um, which is really, really very materialistic, and the opposite of numinous, um, which is to do which is to do with training yourself and training your tra training your body to do to do things and to think a certain way. Um, and so that's the intensity in a way. Um, you thought you you had a you had a kind of half made a half made table, which you, and then you had to and then you were in a situation where you had to, you had to make the other half. <laughs> uh, yes, and, indeed. And so and that's hard work because you think Christ, I've got to make you know I've got a couple of legs to make and how do you make a leg and how do you fit it to this <laughs> and is it that shape and how do you polish it and. And all of that is all of that is uh, training, um, and so the 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 profound intensity that that involves uh, is not like book learning. It's uh, it's literally craft training, um, and it's entirely it's entirely embodied, including mind, um, and so that's what you have to do. So actually doing it, you know, being under the gun. Oh goodness, I've got a deadline. Need to get this done. Got to make another leg. Uh, got to polish the table. You know, got to put a bit of beading around the side. Uh, all of those things focus focus the whole body. It's a very it's a very um, physical encompassing experience. I think this is where we pitch another of another one of Simon's books, which is called uh, A Theory of Drawing. <laughs> uh, Ernesto, uh, Ernesto, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, push my book, you get the get the bleeding title right. A theory of drawing is somebody else's book. A theory of narrative drawing, isn't it? Okay, thank God for that. Yes. <laughs> what's the title? What's the title? Available. Uh, yeah, a theory of narrative mind. drawing. Yeah, that's what I said. It's my mispronunciation. You said a theory of drawing, <laughs> not you lift out the narrative. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm talking here to my laptop and my record. It's players, okay. It's okay. I mean, I mean, it does help that you've got the author, you know, like online as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just it's on sale now for ten pounds. <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> Not because it's oh, been yes. remaindered, oh, but yes. because uh, the, yeah, the, it's the Black Friday. Black Friday. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we might be we might be moving slightly off subject. Yeah, I, it is, but I you know, just... this is very na naturalistic. Naturalistic. This is what happens normally, <laughs> guys. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I mean, going back to uh, poor Peter having to pick up the pieces after that was good. That was Peter picking up the pieces uh, after oh, yeah. the, uh, the artist <laughs> left. Uh, so, did, would you able to salvage anything that they'd done, or did you have to start from scratch? And um, and also following on from that, you know, like you said, that you designed the pages on um, parables to to reflect the manga style. Was there any thinking behind the number of panels and the layout on um, I Know How It Ends? Um, in I Know How This Ends, I used a six-panel uh, grid of five-by-five squares, five uh, simply because that is the format that I feel most comfortable working in. Uh, okay. It gives a nice uh, rhythm to the page. It is um, pretty much, I would say, this standard grid of uh, kind of indie art comic. So maybe there's uh, some of that to it. I don't know. Every time I draw comics, I just use a six panel grid. Um, 
so it wasn't as theorized as the Yonkoma manga was for um, for parables. Okay, well, just the only there, way I can do it. Other result, I think. I think that um, uh, I know how this ends is in some ways. Uh, I suppose technically, I'd say an easier read than parables. That the actual that 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 there was a there's the the interesting one of the interesting things about about Yonkoma manga, the gag manga. Is that um, there is there's great the the more difficult the gag is to get in Japan, the higher the status of of the work, hmm. and so there's this notion of challenging the reader with the form uh, to say to the reader there is sense in here, but if you don't if you don't uh, and we challenge you to find it because we're not going to we're going to put obstacles in your way, and that's the, that's the tension that is invoked and produced by the gag. And that's that's very very different to the form of uh, I know how this ends, where actually those those transitions and panel transitions in terms of storytelling are meant are meant that are meant to become relatively invisible. They're not in themselves challenging, uh, or they're not in themselves affecting. They don't foreground themselves in the same way as they do in parables, because it's a different type of pro project. I think is that right, Peter? Yeah, it's a little damning with faint praise, but. Uh... Oh God! <laughs> no, I'm just. Are That's you right. So, my work, my work is the, not the six panel grid. The six panel grid is so it, it's so it's it's masterfully invisible. How's that? Um, I think I think I'm really looking forward to having some workshops with uh, with readers in the interaction yes. labs, Stuart. Uh, once yeah. once uh, once uh, uh, both uh, publications are available on print. So we already have parables, but once we have, I know how this ends out uh we will have these uh these these uh workshops with with readers or users of the comic and it would be interesting to see what they make of it i mean of both of them i see them as part of the same yeah ongoing narrative and i think it's really interesting you know the the, the idea of what is challenging and the idea of interpretation, the idea of, yeah. you know, how we make sense of things, because dementia is in itself a challenge to our, you know, to, to, to the way we interpret the world, right, and and reality. And uh, in parables, there are very nice parables, I think, about how we can adapt our expectations and maybe uh, ability to react or to interpret and reinterpret uh, realities. Uh, or the world, whatever that means, right? So, so you know, I think again, it is a question of uh, uh, adaptability as well. So, taking adaptation in terms of okay, we have these case studies, we have these interviews, we have all this qualitative data. How do we make it into a comic? Um, well, I mean, and it's uh, an issue of design, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of that, like, do you mind one of you give us a sort of step by step about how you went from you know, your source material, like the interviews and the case studies, et cetera, uh, to these finished outputs, like where it's, you know, who, who prepared the script, who decided the stories, I don't know, how you went about that. Um, so just maybe like a, a, just a brief rundown of like, oh, we did this, then we did that and the other, just to kind of, people can get an idea of your approach. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I can, I can do that. Thank yes, you. please. Okay. Yes, please, Simon. Go for it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, uh, very briefly, uh, for Parables of Care, there was there were already this um, uh, this format provided by the database that had been developed uh, at City, 
um, and the format was uh, for carers sharing uh, sharing their their responses, creative responses to challenges that they'd met as carers. And so there there was already, in a sense, a series of very short stories that were formatted in a particular way, uh, uh, which described who these folks were, the carers what the challenge was that they'd come across, how they had responded to it creatively, and what they felt the effects of that had been, essentially. And so there, so there was already a kind of structure to the storytelling uh, as a given that we came across. And the database was a great resource. I think I mean, it really was, as Ernesto says, a kind of treasury of stories. Um, but also there was a formal aspect to that. So, 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 so you think, okay, there, that's a given in a way. And so we started to think about, um, Really, how we how we how we felt uh, reading these stories, and what we felt the uh, the emotional centres of the stories were, and then we were able to group those stories into into various types, um, really according to not 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 necessarily according to the technical responses of this is how you do that or that, but more to do with the emotional responses that were embedded in the stories. So we were able to come up with maybe you know to ten or fifteen types where, where the stories fit certain types of uh, uh, emotional character. Uh, and that's a, it was at that moment that we started to think about what the challenges were in terms of putting the reader into the situation of reading these stories uh, and facing those challenges, feeling the challenge, which is something that we felt in every case. We felt the challenge that had faced the carer uh, as well as the patient. And so, on that basis, that's when we came up with this idea of uh, of, um, of looking for the the analogy in gag in the gag form um, because of the tension and the challenge to reading. Um, and that and after that, in a sense, it was kind of plain sailing. We chose stuff. We wanted the comic to look like a comic, and hence the romance, the kind of romance references or the uh, to the, the reference to American classic comics of the 60s or 50s, maybe. Uh, in the cover, um, and that, I think that, and that was it. So that was the process. That arc. There was workshopping. Uh, there was testing. There was a lot of conversation. There were lots of different people involved. Uh, but I think that that's that. That's how the sequence of events kind of pl planned out. I mean, it's interesting. I think in I know how this ends. Uh, Peter's drawing style is much, much more significant uh, to the feeling of the stories, uh, the, uh, the, the episodes, uh, than, than in parables. I think that the, the drawing style that I employed in parables uh, has a kind of, um, uh, uh, it could be this, it could be that, whereas I think, I think in, I know how this ends, I think that the drawing style uh, works much harder, does much more of the heavy lifting. So, wow. uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, so you you started off with these case studies you found the emotion behind them then you built yeah. narratives and the structure around that and yeah. you're, you're saying with parables you know you've yeah. kind of left it ambiguous in terms of the artwork uh, whereas with i know how it ends you think it's it's a bit more explicit what's going on i think that the emotional punch resides more in the art more in the drawing style in i know how this ends than than it does in parables i think parables has this uh, parables has this kind of information giving Drawing style, whereas which you kind of recognise as a reader as as such. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's on the on the level of I can say, you know, the artwork the, the artwork's not great, um, and what I mean by that is that there's not much significance in it. That the, the the significance lies elsewhere. Um, whereas I think that in I know how this ends. I think actually Peter's drawing style does quite a lot more work. Um, you get more emotional punch off the drawing style itself than you do in parables. I think. 
But Peter, what, what's your response to that? <laughs> well, I think the art is fantastic in parables. <laughs> First off. Um, I, I think Simon is being very humble. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not a question. No, it's not. A, it's not a question of achievement or ability. I'm simply talking about. I'm talking from a reader point of view. You know what a maniac I am. Um, and so what? And so I'm not. You know, I have no ego in terms of drawing. I can make. I, I can make a good drawing and a bad drawing, and you know whatever. So, <laughs> but I think in terms of the reader, I think that there's not that there's more. There's literally. Uh, sorry, repeat myself. There's more significance in the draw in the style of the drawing, and I know how this ends, than there is in parables for me. Our listeners will be dying to see, you know, how this ends, and it's still not out yet. So <laughs> they really want to know how this ends. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think in um, in I know how this ends. There's much more of an emphasis on the face and the close up, uh, whereas in parables things yeah. are a little bit more distant. Yeah. Um, I I think there is in parables this nice contrast between a kind of uh, clinical removed view and the emotional impact of yeah. the yeah. manga. Um, and I think that emotional impact comes from the poetic ability of the caregivers to devise temporary reprieves yeah. for patients. And uh, yeah. one thing I've learned from this project is uh, temporary reprieves are really important because in the end, yeah. that's all there is. Yeah. Um, and in uh, I know how this ends. Uh, I wanted to say earlier, yeah, it's a dark, it's a dark story, but but tragedy is also cathartic in a way. You're supposed to yes. sort of cleanse yourself of certain emotional vectors. Yeah. Um, and it, after we uh, we had a little interview with our interviewees after uh, we had decided what form the story would take, uh, and for a couple of them, uh, the person who had dementia had died and their experience was completely changed by that fact. Uh, they were much more relieved uh, and they were able to look at their experience with more, you know, they were sort of out of the, out of the grip of dementia in a way. And they all said how much the talking through their stories was really important to them and that nobody, in the health industry had ever done that for them. Like they yeah. had never been able to sit down and talk about what it was like for them. Uh, and I think that's partly because when we think of the medical system, it's so focused on the person who has the affliction, uh, but dementia is like this family system disease. It affects everybody and totally transforms the, the family network. And I think that was really powerful to me. So I, I was trying to capture that, that feeling. That's true. It sort of goes against, you know, storytelling in a way. It has also been commodified, you know, through technology and new distribution systems and, you know, etc. But in like narrative medicine or, you know, qualitative, you know, pa or palliative care, you know, has been one of the key victims of, you know, uh, Neoliberal policies, etc., and I feel like you know, if you, if you think that a GP has like 10 minute stops to talk to a patient, and often it's just that person only, and rarely you know it will be two people going you know into the GPs, at least that in the UK you know, um, 
I, I guess in a way, you know, we are also trying to contribute to a more humane, more yeah. uh, a way of thinking about health or, uh, you know, f- afflictions that affect health uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that has storytelling and empathy at its core and dialogue and, and images and, you know, uh, put together, you know, as comics can, we think, contribute to to that. Yeah, to contribute to address I, uh, that. Yeah. My feeling about this in terms of research is to sort of ask the question, what if everything that you're trying to get out of your study because it reeks of emotionality and subjectivity and um, particularity, uh, what if that's the really important stuff? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was at a... Uh, I was at a conference uh, the other week where one of the keynotes was talking about, it was a criminology conference, 100 years of criminal justice in Canada. And one of the keynotes was talking about the, um, the, the you know, that we were in this real struggle now in all kinds of dimensions between reason and emotion. And I thought that was totally f-ed up. Sorry for saying that on the podcast. Because uh, I think the the real problem is not like this battle between irrational emotion and calm, cool reason. It's been the neglect of emotionality as an object of study for the past 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, me too. I mean, this, has got, this has gotten deep very quickly. Um, <laughs> it's always like, been deep. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I, no, I like it because I think, like you said, you know, you could just talk about this from a very clinical academic perspective of you know, we yeah. produce this artifact, and you know, we have, we hope the outcome is this. But the fact that you guys are such uh, so emotionally connected with it, and you hope it, you know, the whole aim was to for it to resonate emotionally with people. You know, that's that's quite um, you know, not not unheard of, but it's kind of a bit uh, not not the standard academic what what people think of academia, is it really? Uh, it's kind of goes against the grain somewhat. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I'm yeah. glad, I'm glad, you know, because I think that's what, uh, you know, research should be about as well, about, uh, you know, uh, being passionate about a topic or an approach because we think it matters and because, you know, there is, the, especially today, there is so much emphasis on, on having an an impact, uh, you know, uh, and, and that's what impact uh, should be about, about talking to to people about what affects them, right? And if you yeah. if, if you read the statistics, I mean, if you see them, uh, you see uh, worldwide, uh, dementia is uh, it is uh, one of the key challenges of our time. Yeah, yeah. And and if we only have, uh, it's funny, right? That clinical can can be used in that sense <laughs> of, of 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 non, you know dispassionate or, uh, or you know not, not not engaged not emotionally engaged uh, yeah. way but we actually would like to introduce more of that i think that 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 there's nothing more uh dispiriting than 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 not being able to talk about the emotional effect that that illness or or health conditions can can have on us as human beings and hopefully our research can contribute to to address uh that lack, you know, of empathy, perhaps. Yeah, 
Uh, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very noble goal. Um, and I suppose that leads us on to the outcomes from the project. Um, so I know that sort of, I know how it ends is still a work in progress, but in terms of parables and sort of your wider works, what do you think the outcomes have been so far? Um, so let's start with uh, Simon on this one. So I, I think, uh, I mean, it, the project is quite modest. As Peter says, it's this, you know, 16 page book, 14 stories, uh, uh, however, 14 times four panels is, um, it's relatively small. Um, the distribution has been, Continu continues to be relatively wide because we, uh, it's not exactly unplanned, but we carry it with us, and so we're we're it's a co we're constantly live with it. We're not we're not like in a sense on a production schedule with it, where we've that's the book that we produced and, and kind of marketed and put out there last year, and now we're on to the next book, you know, in a kind of year eighteen month cycle. Parables is kind of um, grows uh, and finds its kind of place internationally as we travel around and talk about things and kind of do things. And so the impact, um, I mean, we've given away a lot of them. Uh, there's been a lot of download of it. Um, there's been a lot of carer commentary about it. Um, and I think that in terms of graphic medicine, there's um, there's also this this notion of contributing to debates, which are academic debates in a way. So so it, it it's um, it's not at the, not really at the end by any means of its impact life, um, and particularly as the offshoots of it, um, in terms of uh, I know how this ends. Uh, um, it, it's not. It, it, it is a separate project, but it's related in a very intimate way to parables. And so I think that there is, there's in a sense, there's a kind of snowballing of the whole thing. Um, parables has gone away in the way that some other, uh, say I don't know, uh, comics of mine have. Uh, where they've been produced, consumed, logged, uh, Im impact statements made, and then <laughs> silence. Parables is kind of still resonates and has this kind of growing voice. Uh, so there's still stuff to learn about it. So I think we're in that situation, which is very, it's unusual, I think, and kind of heartening, um, because we're still having those conversations and there's still work to be done with other people who've been impacted by by what we did to start with. So that's good. Okay, and, and the same question to Peter. Um, yeah, like I have produced, uh, I think about 400 copies uh, at our print shop at the college, at Douglas yeah. College. Um, there's a, 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 a class, an, a Bachelor of Science nursing class uh, for which it's a textbook. So they take, uh, you know, 60 copies every term. Um, I was at, uh, uh, invited to give a talk at a psychiatric nursing class uh, just last Friday, and I gave out 40 copies then. Uh, so we're just always, we're yeah. always hustling, man. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but uh, I, I, I have never really been involved with something quite like this, where it is a little project. It's, it's really exemplary of how to do projects, I think. You know, a modest project can have this ripple effect that just keeps going and going. Mm. Uh, and I just feel kind of like we're getting started with this project, even though we've been yeah. working on it for several years. Brilliant. Uh, and um, I suppose that leads nicely to my next question. So, you know, you've said there's this little project that's made a massive impact. Uh, for other people that want to consider getting into graphic medicine or just using comics within their research, uh, what could they learn from your experience of producing these artifacts, or, or, or these, not just artifacts, these uh, creative pieces? 
Uh, wow. Uh, well, if I can chip in here, I think something to to um, to learn, perhaps, or no, I wouldn't say that. But I, I think that you know what's worked well for us has been to to have found each other in a you know as a team that that, that has an ongoing relationship uh, in terms of uh, mutual interests uh, and that. Um, we see it as a living project. It has. It was not a project that, you know, obviously, you know, it, we're very grateful that we got the funding from the School of Computing, uh, Computer Science, Mathematics and Engineering at City to to do this impact project. Uh, you know, it allowed us to uh, to to make the comic. Uh, but really, the 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 it is a very it has been a very economical, <laughs> you know, affordable project to make. Uh, you know, uh, to do well, it's. Um, it, it's more about the, the the engagement with your team, with your fellow team members, and and the interest in creating engagement outside academia, I guess. So so uh, giving it a Creative Commons license, uh, mm. depositing in depositing the PDF file in our respective open access repositories, uh, blogging about it. Uh, Making different presentations about it in, uh, for different conferences uh, that have different audiences in different places, as they have said, to always carry copies with us, to encourage translations because it's been translated into French, into Spanish, uh, into German, and because of the open licensing, it's been other people who have volunteered the, the translations. Uh, Simon has also kindly volunteered his labor, his time to, you know, uh, redesign the comics for different uh, languages. Uh, I, I, I did uh, in September last year. I did a, I gave a lecture about uh, the process behind Parables of Care, and uh, we, we did uh, in cooperation with the uh, uh, Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana in Mexico. We did. Print uh, copies of the Spanish version, so you know the, uh, the the openness of the project in terms of licensing, in terms of going digital and print, um, and and our uh, mutual synergy. You know the the synergy that that the group has created and our interest in disseminating it is something that I think is has been good practice. It's very time consuming though, and uh, it, it it one needs to be willing to do it, and you know I appreciate. Uh, Simon and Simon's and Peter's patience uh, with me, but I think you know it's been mutual, reciprocal. We have been uh, understanding that we are all human beings, and uh, so it's not just work; it is work and life, uh, and that can be complicated. But it can. No, I think I mean it's it's interesting. I think that we um, we uh, have just by maybe by accident uh, had the had the. Uh, had the capacity to be quite really quite focused on on what we thought was important about the project together um without without uh, whilst at the same time being being open to uh, any any and all ideas so there is a the energy in the project for me derives from that combination of of being really quite a, acute and maintaining acuity about what it is we were doing at the same time being open to methods and ideas and um, uh, types of content that that might that, that yeah that might in other circumstances be difficult if we were so I mean we are quite a cross disciplinary team 
uh, and we do have that ability to um, to come up with stuff and say uh, and say, well, I've had this thought, or wouldn't it be nice if, or that fits with that, or to introduce an idea that could be quite radical or even bizarre in some other circumstances, and for us to, <laughs> to test those things against our focus. Yes. And so we're constantly oscillating between between just chucking it out there and going, uh, oh, let's make an opera. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and then maintaining a kind of focus on why we do that, and what would be interesting about it. Yeah. Um, I to return to Stuart's original question. If somebody <laughs> was considering a project like this, I would say you should definitely do it. Um, especially, I think like art is really important, and especially important in these medical situations where people are in conditions where expressing themselves and how they're really feeling is very, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a real requirement for a kind of impressionistic and expressionistic response to these situations. And that, um, you know, it, it could be painting. I, I think of like uh, war artists, you know, going out into the field and drawing the battle. Uh, when you lose that, you lose a really significant dimension to your research. So more drawing, more art. Think about the aesthetic dimension of whatever project you're working on, as long as it involves human beings. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because in the 90s, there was much talk about, you know, deconstruction and Derrida's ideas on logocentrism over, you know, phonocentrism. But, you know, in research and in higher education in general, there's also, you know, unless you study art or perhaps design, uh, people are really discouraged, you know, from drawing or from thinking visually. And just as we think of or we talk of, speak of design thinking, uh, we should also think of, you know, uh, uh, graphic storytelling or comics thinking. It is a way of thinking too that that can help us, if not as uh, necessarily as the main output of our research, it can help us uh, shape our ideas uh, for research that may have different, you know, channels or different forms of, of being outputs. Uh, and I think you know it is it is it is really tragic that kids would be discouraged from drawing, say say in school, right? Like uh, if you're doodling while taking a lecture or something, and the tutor will be like, "Why are you doodling? You should be taking notes." When doodling can be a way of taking notes. So increasingly, you know, there is more appreciation of sketch noting in conferences and of of drawing or combining words and 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 images as as a, a, not only an equally valid method of thinking and, and, and interpreting and, and, you know, uh, yes, thinking, but also perhaps uh, quite distinct and different, and therefore with the possibility of giving you different and uh, valuable insights. So I would encourage researchers who have never thought that they can draw to try it out, uh, because as they say, anyone can draw and uh, maybe hard and difficult at the beginning, but uh, it may be very uh, a very nice thing to do uh, that can improve our practice. So, uh, I, I suppose to, sorry, uh, go, on, go ahead. I think uh, if you do if you do something like drawing, uh, or you or you have a project, a tiny little project that has a kind of artistic component, uh, other people will ask you about that, and they will be interested in it. And before you know it, you'll be working in 
several projects with similar kinds of aims. Mm -hmm. so, so basically, from what you guys are saying, it's just surround yourself with like-minded people, but from different disciplines, you can learn from each other and sort of fire crazy ideas at each other. Um, just get, just draw, just just go ahead and draw. Don't don't let your sort of confidence or you know whether it's right or not to stop you. And um, yeah, just get cracking. And once you start, then people will sort of see what you're doing, and hopefully you'll get more opportunity to do more of it. Yeah, and don't yeah. be afraid of uh, people scooping your ideas or you know uh, uh, getting you know uh, just share away because that's a, that's a way of creating networks and getting ideas and uh, getting traction as well. Thanks a lot for everything, guys. Uh, my next question is really, what are you working on next? Um, so uh, yeah, let's start with Simon and then move over to Peter. Goodness, uh, well, I am, well, let's choose something. I'm working on a, a number of things at once, but the thing that's in my mind, the thing that's in my mind at the moment I am working uh, on the beginning of a research project where I will use uh, the creation of a graphic adaptation of a 19th century French play to reveal things about relationships between France and England in the 1870s. <laughs> Silent. <laughs> rapture. Well, it's, it's just kind of rapturous awe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no need. To, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what to respond really. I mean, it's no. Amazing. I mean, uh, you know, crikey, let's hope we can do it. Talking about, you know, I'm going to make a graphic novel out of a play that was a French play in England that was premiered uh, premiered in England in 1871. Uh, and uh, there's lots of things about French plays in England that are very, very interesting uh, uh, that reveal English attitudes to fr to Frenchness mm -hmm. at the, in the period. And there are certain things you really can't get a grip on unless you see them. And so and that, that leads us to think, oh, well, well, what do we do? Do we revive a play, the, the play and look at it? But of course, mm. then you're not reviving the audience. You're not reviving the theater. Yeah. You're not reviving the street that the theater's on. You're not you're not backstage. So suddenly uh, the graphic uh, graphic adaptation uh, becomes a, a methodology. Um, and that's that's where you can see all sorts of different things at once. And that's what we're doing. You're creating a digenesis of the play in context, um, so it's like yes, you know, yeah, you yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I suppose in a couple of hundred years' time, there'll be one about the attitudes of England towards Europe. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a timely project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it EU funded? <laughs> is it EU funded? Yes, that's true. We're trying to raise money from Europe. Yes. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, and what about you, Peter? What are you working on? I just have to say that if that project was described to me with no names attached, I would know exactly who was doing it. <laughs> um, there goes peer review. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, well, blind peer review, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working on a lot of stuff, but I guess the most uh, related thing that I'm just starting to work on is a project that involves sports science and engineering uh, for people who are victims of stroke. They have developed this sort of recovery mechanism for people who have had a stroke, but the problem is it's really boring. So what they want to do is they want to have uh, the, the, the mechanism connected to images, comics, uh, so that the, while the person does the repetitive action, 
they are also reading, looking at these images. So there's all kinds of interesting things about like how dense can the image be, how how much attention can you keep with the images. So it's like a comics, sports science, engineering project, and I'm, it's just at the very beginning. And I'm hoping to rope Ernesto and Simon into it as well. Wow, that I mean, sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I think, you know, just the idea of like, do, will it be an interactive comic that changes depending on the activities, or like how, how will it work? Well, what what would happen? At least, I mean, we're still conceiving it, but I think what would happen is at the beginning the process is quite slow. So with each repetition, it's you have a longer time to look. So I think the image at the beginning of the process would be very dense. Uh, and then as you improved, the image would lighten and you'd be able to go through it quicker. Um, but that's just a, a, a preliminary thought. Very cool. Because the problem, problem with all these recovery things that stroke victims have to do at home is that they don't do them because they're boring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you have to do something. And if, you know, if they just watch the TV, that's not really a, an active mental function. Uh, but looking at drawings could be. Yeah, and as, as you know, uh, aphasia is one of the, what can be a consequence of having a stroke. And yeah. there's work at uh, HCID, you know, through the Inca project and, uh, you know, led by Stephanie Wilson and Abby Roper that works in that project. She she has also been a collaborator in the Parable Subcare project. Uh, so uh, it's it's very nice how things start interconnecting. Uh, aphasia is an interesting, I mean, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> it's from the point of view of the researcher is is interesting as well because of uh, its effects and and uh, so, you know, when we have a problem of communication, then using different methods of communication, alternative ways that may have been overlooked, uh, it's always a good thing, I think. So very exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I suppose as your sort of semi-guest, semi-co-host, Ernesto, what are you working on? <laughs> oh dear, well, we are working on this series of uh, the Interaction Lab podcast, of course. And uh, Stuart and I have uh, launched with uh, colleagues at HCID, the, the, the Comics, Games and Media Research Group. Uh, the two colleagues there, Sondus and Maricela, are leading in the preparation of a an application or more for funding. Uh, we have uh, different topics that we're working on at the moment. I don't want to say much at the moment because I may jinx it, but uh, <laughs> so we don't want that. But we are really you know, excited about this new research group. We've started a, a blog as well where we will be making updates. You, you do have good news, right, Stuart? You will be uh, hosting an event at City as part yeah. of... Uh, I mean, it, we 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 could be un hosting the Unreal Engine meetup uh, in December and January. So this is like uh, I think it's the largest one in the country. Oh, no, largest one in the world at the moment. Yes. And it's for people that use the Unreal Game Engine to create games and VR and etc. Experiences. Um, so that's going to be fun. So that's kind of quite timely with us starting this group. So I think we're trying to get inroads into that community as well as the others that we're involved with. Yeah, because we have, uh, we both share an interest in you know, with others in, in City, at HCID, in, in games as well as, as narrative media and just video games, but role-playing games as well. So, you know, there we have uh, the commonality of perhaps performance in, in role-play uh, and uh, thinking of uh, things like narrative design, speculative design, science fiction prototyping, 
uh, trying to introduce comics as much as we can in our work to to enhance either the impact of research or to think about how uh, you know startups or uh, other companies or projects could benefit from from a little bit of awareness of how you know games or or comics uh, as activities could help to improve design and and outputs. So yeah, lots of uh, you know a couple of papers that are you know undergoing revisions and stuff. So I won't bore you with those details. Uh, but first we need to have uh, I know how this ends out, and that's uh, that's uh, one of the first tasks that we are facing ourselves with. Brilliant. Uh, well, I think that's been a. I mean, anything else from you guys, uh, Simon and Peter? No, that's great. That's good. We've been pretty thorough. Yeah, yeah. It's been really, um, really exciting and interesting learning about your project. Like, it's one thing seeing the artifact; it's another thing hearing the story behind it. Uh, I, I say artifact. I hope that doesn't offend you. But, you know, seeing the comic itself and then hearing the story. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's brilliant, and I hope lots of people, well, our listeners, are going to learn a lot from hearing you guys talk about the work that you've done. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I'll, I'll close this episode. Uh, I just want to thank again Simon Grennan and Peter Wilkins for giving up their time to speak to us. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone again in our next episode of the Interaction Lab podcast. <laughs>